0: Hey everybody, welcome to the Florida Basketball Hour. I'm your host, Neil Blackman. Um, just a reminder that if, if you like the show, if you've been listening to the show, if it's your first time listening to the show, um, obviously we're really appreciative that that you're here. And um, you can find us on any number of platforms from Apple Podcasts to Spotify to Google Podcasts, uh, Stitcher, you know, most any, any streaming platform, um, we're going to be there. So go ahead and... Um, Give us a like, give us a subscribe if you're on Apple, uh, write a review, send in a listener question. Um, We love all that stuff and and we're certainly appreciative that that you spend a little time with us. Um, Thanks everybody and enjoy the show. Hey everybody, welcome to the Florida Basketball Hour. I'm Neil Blackman and I am with, as ever, Eric Fawcett. GatorCountry.com, uh, and a host of other places um, from time to time. Uh, Eric, good morning. Um, we're talking about a big win. Yeah, that's something that I've, uh, I was really hoping we'd get
1: to do. and uh, I just think it was just such a good, such a good, such a good basketball game last night. Um, obviously, it came out on in Florida's favor, so uh, that really made it great. But, uh, but really, the, the entire thing was just an homage to why college basketball is awesome. Um, good environment to baton rouge for sure and uh just a contrast of two very different styles just uh, from the opening tip when uh lsu comes out with a big 611 250 guy and a 610 250 guy in the front court and you know florida has zero of those guys so uh from the start <laughs> the matchup was just uh was just so of two teams with contrasting styles that wanted to play at two different tempos um and i thought that this was another game that shows that uh how Florida can control tempo against teams that want to play faster and when that happens it's in Florida's favor so we saw that against Alabama we saw that against LSU which is kind of like a better version of Alabama in a lot of ways like um, in the way that you know Alabama has a really good score first guard in Kyra Lewis and I think Tremont Waters is is probably better even though Tremont Waters got pretty bottled up by the Gators last night and Alabama also plays their front court a lot. And I think the LSU front court's even better. So it was really interesting for Florida to play those teams kind of uh, in back to back, but uh, it's, uh, it was obviously really impressive to show that uh, the Gators can now do it against the best and uh, and do it on the road.
0: Yeah. I kind of wanted to get into that because I think um, one thing that impressed me, well, two things that impressed me were I was impressed by LSU. I thought that offensively uh, they were, and I texted you this. I said, you know, man, I think they're better offensively than I thought they were, even from my observations of them. Um, they they put a lot of pressure on a defense. They just have a lot of ways that they can attack you. And and I felt like that on a night where, you know, for the second consecutive year, Florida really troubled Tremont Waters, although it was so interesting that Florida troubled him in a totally different way than they did last year, didn't they? Like last season, um, Florida just kind of had Chris Gioza who could fly around and give him issues um and this year at least early in the game florida would double waters a lot which i thought was pretty fast um and you know bothered i mean three of 12 uh, you know i think everyone in the in in gator nation probably thought he was going to hit that shot at the end uh to tie the game but but fortunately he didn't but that that gets off topic to how i was impressed with just the way lsu has so many guys that can get in the pain and attack um Another guy Florida did a really nice job on that has troubled teams in in LSU's run was uh, Javante Smart. He goes two of eight from the field, has four points. Florida just did a really nice job defending him and closing out on him. Um, So I thought on a night where, you know, the Gators fouled a little more than we're used to seeing, uh, it was still sort of defense that keyed Florida and kept them in the game at times where their offense – stagnated as it's as it's prone to do.
1: Yeah, and that's how Florida's going to keep winning games. And uh, obviously, uh, to pe- they got a lot of offensive rebounds for sure. Uh, LSU did, <laughs> but it didn't kind of make Florida stop defending. And I feel like sometimes those offensive rebounds can be just like backbreakers, but uh, defenses kind of give up and, and, and concede layups. And, and Florida never did that. Um, but I think, uh, I think uh, I, I'm kind of like you. I was really impressed with LSU's offense. And one thing that really just impressed me was that they have it, every single person in their backcourt that got minutes um could drive the ball like tremor waters obviously skylar mays javante smart um, how marlon good taylor is skylar really mays. i'm not trying to interrupt you. yeah <laughs> skylar mays oh, is really so good. good but that's just what's crazy is uh, i mean that's a really good basketball team and they're young because you look at every single person who've gotten the game they were all useful players like uh like javante smart coming off the bench and uh, those are or like skylar mays and marlon taylor those are all uh tremor waters those are all good players that are not seniors and they could all come back. And obviously, um, actually Emma Williams uh, was the only player that got to the game for LSU that I didn't think was very good. Um, but, but Darius days was, was really, really good. Um, Gainesville native, native of course, that would uh, look pretty good in a uh, Florida uniform, I think, considering how he played last night. But yeah, um, yeah, I was I was really impressed <laughs> with uh, with that team's offense. But uh, yeah, and I thought that uh, the one thing that LSU is just missing is uh, is knockdown jump shooters, and I think that that really allowed Florida to to trap Draymond Waters with two guys, knowing that he wasn't just going to skip it over the top to a forty percent three point shooter, he was going to skip it over the top to a thirty two percent three point shooter, and you can manage that. So. Um, I thought that it was uh, it was a really good uh, really good coaching job by uh, by Mike White on a night where I I think that uh, I definitely think he coached really well and I bet you did too. So uh, you want to talk a little bit about uh, some of those uh, things that Coach White did that uh, that made the game a success?
0: Yeah, um, I, I thought well, let's start defensively. Um, you know, I, I mentioned doubling water, so I'm not going to go back into that. But I think um, the decision to double Nas Reed on almost every touch. I really troubled LSU and it did it in two ways. One, um, it, it they did the opposite of what I thought they might do on Reed. They decided, other than one time where they had a really and that was great offense where LSU set a really nice underscreen and and uh reed, you know, buried the triple. <laughs> and I thought that, that was a really problematic moment in the game actually for Florida. And then the Gators came down and made a three. Um you know, two possessions later uh, came on Allen with, with one of his huge shots to tie it back up. But, um, but getting back to the, to the Reed thing, I think Florida did what the opposite of what I thought in that. They did not let reed have room on the perimeter because I guess Mike White's scout was what Eric just said, which was that they don't have a lot of guys who can knock down shots outside other than, Waters, we're not going to let those two guys beat us out there. Um, And so, you know, Florida did a nice job defensively doing that. But then on the interior, I thought the biggest – and I'm interested on Eric's take. I thought the biggest impact of those double teams was just slowing down LSU. Like, I thought it was just all about we'll use double teams for tempo, and if we get turnovers out of them, great. If we don't, it just forces LSU to run more clock – and get into late shot clock offense where they're most uncomfortable. Absolutely,
1: and I mean that's the uh, the toughest
0: thing to do in basketball from an offensive standpoint is is create
1: offense individually. Uh, that's something we've seen with uh, Florida, who hasn't been good at that the last couple seasons. But that is the toughest thing to do in basketball. Uh, so if you if you get any team in late clock situations, there's there's no team that. Let, what I'm saying is there's no team that's better in late clock situations than middle clock situations. There's no team that. Uh, is like oh, there's five seconds on the shot clock. I got to go one on one. That's better than the offense we've been running for the last 25 seconds. There's there's just no team that that's their better option. So, especially a team like like LSU that does want to play fast and um, does you know that's a, slowing them down definitely made that in Florida's favor. And I would say especially when it was the game was in Baton Rouge, uh, it just really took the fans out of it. Uh, fans that are used to watching their teams go up and down that they don't really like when Florida slowed things down and then then slowed, when they had the ball and then slowed things down when LSU had the ball. So I thought, that, I did think that was really impressive, um, really defensive work by the Gators defensively and uh, you, you know, we are talking about Nazareed one thing that I didn't know that he could do so well was drive the basketball. He's incredibly mobile for 250 pounds at 6'10". He also, yeah. he also defended the basketball really well. I really thought that Keontae Johnson was just going to be able to drive by him every time he got the ball and uh, Nazarii was really impressive defensively, so I just actually thought Nazarii was incredible. But um, but
0: yeah, yeah, he, he he's spectacular.
1: <laughs> so yeah, the way that the Gators had to uh, not just be like, oh, this you know I was thinking, yeah, he's a catch and shoot threat, and he certainly is. But he's also a guy you could put the ball on the floor, so uh, that made defending him really, really difficult. And, and Florida did well.
0: Yeah, and then um, but, you know, in terms of what White did well offensively, uh, I thought quite a few things but you know the largest one that that comes to mind for me and it's something that we we've discussed is you know florida just was really productive out of timeouts and really productive on on the baseline out of bounds plays uh i think it was 10 points in a game where florida wins by five uh it's just difficult to say that to not credit coach for for the way that florida drew up those plays and to be honest It could have been more. I mean, they had one where they had uh, Keontae Johnson headed to the basket on a screen, and it was just a bad pass. And that was a dunk with a good pass. Um, So that's just one example. You know, they had another set where Noah Locke got a really good three-point shot out and missed. Um, You know, so I think – Florida did a really nice job of that. But the other thing I thought Florida did offensively, which seems to be the coaching adjustment that this staff has made, is just that commitment to get into the paint with their guards, whether that's uh, Andrew Nimhard maturing, whether that's the the increase in productivity from Jalen Hudson, whether that's Kayvon Allen staying aggressive even when shots aren't falling, or some combination of all those things. So I just feel like this staff has made a really nice commitment to getting the ball uh, inside the paint. And and I think some of that is, is about Jalen Hudson uh, being a little bit more productive. Some of that is about Kayvon Allen staying aggressive offensively even when his shots aren't falling, which – you know, that is growth because he wasn't doing that last season, really. And then maybe some of it is Andrew Nimhart's maturity. Maybe a lot of it is Andrew Nimhart's maturity. Um, and, you know, the development of Keontae Johnson. Uh, but for whatever reason, that commitment allows Florida to outscore a team with a great front court like LSU in the paint on the road uh, through most of the game. And then the Gators get enough from their perimeter jump shots late to, uh, to end up winning the game. Um, and I thought that's super impressive, especially at a night where the foul disparity was really, really odd, even though Florida was committed to getting in the paint. Normally we'd say, oh, well, the foul disparity is often that big with Florida because Florida doesn't get and drive and do things that usually generate fouls. But Florida was inside a lot. They just weren't getting calls. Yeah, definitely not. Uh, the
1: free throw uh, free throws were stuck at about four for the Gators for the game up until a few minutes left in the second half. but. Yeah, I just think getting in, getting the ball of the paint is just so important fundamentally to basketball. Uh, I think you look at any team that's had great success offensively at any level of basketball, and I think a lot of people nowadays look at it as their ability to shoot threes, but it's really their ability to get in the paint. Um, the Golden State Warriors in the NBA, people look at their jump shooting all the time, but the reason they get jump shots is because Steph Curry can beat anyone off, anyone off the bounce and, and Kevin Durant can do the same. And uh, they can also throw the ball down low into Draymond Green, who can kind of run offense. And now uh, guns of course. But um, and then you look at uh, you look at Villanova uh, during their run. People always talk about their ability to shoot the ball, and absolutely they can shoot the ball. But the reason they can do it is because that team always had guys that could space things out uh, and get into the paint and use jump sh- jump stops really well. Anyone who's ever watched any of Jay Wright's kind of coaching clinics will know he just preaches getting into the paint stopping on a jump stop with two feet and using a pivot to find a shooter and uh, all these teams that even you look at uh, at every level of basketball that you look at people talking about the way they can shoot the ball it's because they can get the ball into the paint and then generate those good three-point looks because of it and then as you said of course not only does that mean that you're getting good three-point looks but it means you're also getting the ball inside and, and therefore getting higher percentage shots so I really think everything in basketball starts with their ability starts with the ability to get the ball inside. And, uh, and Florida wasn't doing that earlier. And as you mentioned, they're doing it a lot better now. And I think that's uh, that's the biggest reason why the offense
0: is looking better. So, um, you know, any, any guys that you thought were, I mean, we all know about cave Allen in overtime and, and really late in the game. I mean, I mentioned the the sequence where Nasri hits a three LSU goes up 60, 57 and it, you know, even, even after a, a, uh, a timeout, you know, I think Carl uh, Ravich and Andy Kennedy kind of said, oh, it feels like LSU's season control of the game. But, you know, Florida had an answer. Um, so, so I think those heroics are kind of well documented. And uh, Kavarius Hayes, I thought, kind of a guy who had a really good night quietly <laughs> uh, 10 points, seven rebounds, two block shots, fought through foul trouble. Um you know anybody that was that was an unsung hero for you Eric? Yeah I was I was going to say Hayes until you uh you jumped in
1: there. Um <laughs> one thing too about about Kayvon Allen is we got to see every side of Kayvon Allen cuz he had a pretty awful first half I would say. Obviously had the really good second half <laughs> and we even got to see him do his patented turnover when <laughs> the I, patented late, the late, late turnover. game turnover from from Kevon Allen <laughs> we even got to see. Um okay I Okay. I'll, I'm going to circle back to that actually, but first I will say, I thought Kavaris Hayes played really well. I thought one of the plays that was really impressive was when he got caught on a switch with Tremont Waters and Tremont Waters just absolutely shifted him with a really nice dribble move and Kavaris Hayes recovered and pinned him on the glass. And I thought that that was just, um, that really kind of embodied the the spirit of the basketball team that just, that they were able to, you know, playing, a, playing quicker, uh, playing a team that get in the paint and, uh, he just recovered so well to to get a block shot i thought that was really impressive and um and he was able to finish well well inside he was 4 for 4 from the field and and just made the ones he needed to so i thought that was uh, uh that was really big but um i was i uh, just kind of talking about with someone about this on twitter so i want to see your thoughts uh Kayvon allen keeps getting trapped and throwing the ball away in uh in these late game situations um and, and it's honestly my thought that and i mean you'd hope this doesn't happen, but if you're in that situation um, that cable Allen keeps finding himself in, I would rather him hold the ball and take a five second call or a 10 second half court call, or I would rather him throw the ball out of bounds ba- or step out of bounds, than give a live ball turnover in that situation.
0: Um, what do you think? Uh, two things. One, yes, <laughs> two, <laughs> two. Um, you know, I, I look at Florida's free throw percentages. And I've actually started to just trust Andrew Nimhart or Noah Locke to hit those shots. I get why they want to run these actions to get cave free. He's your best free throw shooter. He's one of the best in school history. And he really actually wanted, it looks like he's going to be one of the top 15 free throw shooters in the history of the sec when he quits, by the way, Uh, (laughs) which is pretty amazing. Um, But if he's going to turn the ball over, like he's done now, I think this was the third one in SEC play and the fourth time this season late in the game. It's just not really, you know, run some sort of action and hope that Nim Harder-Lock can get him the ball on the second pass, right? Totally. Um, that, that would be my, you know, <laughs> you won't criticize Mike White. Well, I, I'm not going to after last night, but I feel like when they watch the film, they might just say, you know what, there's got to be a different way to get Cave on the ball because he keeps doing this. Yeah, uh, one thing I thought
1: was interesting. Okay, so going back to obviously Florida scoring on all these baseline out-of-bounds plays, um, I don't really know if it was the coaching staff of LSU that totally missed that scout or whether it was the players not um, executing what the coaches told them. Because, I mean, when we watched, when Florida played Auburn, uh, those guys knew everyone in Florida's baseline out-of-bounds sets and didn't let Florida get anything. So they really knew the scout, and it seemed like, it seemed like LSU really, really didn't. And um, one thing that I also thought was really interesting about LSU probably not knowing the scout was um, there was a play right at the end that, that uh, uh, after that one where Kayvon Allen ended up going to the free throw line at the end. Um, but what happened was, uh, Kayvon, or, so they kind of had, uh, they went to go stack their guards and one of the, one of the guards that Florida had in the backcourt to receive the ball was Jalen Hudson and I was thinking to myself, oh my goodness, why is Jalen Hudson on the floor in this situation? <laughs> and uh, when Florida ran their action to just split off the uh, off the stack, uh, two guys quickly went to rapidly deny Jalen Hudson the basketball, and then which left Andrew Nemhart open. And then Florida very easily got the ball into Andrew Nemhart, who then was able to uh, to throw it over to Kayvon Allen, who got fouled. Um, so I thought point. it was a really, really not good coaching thing, or maybe just a I don't know if it was a coaching thing. Maybe the players didn't know. Maybe, But, but I mean, they rushed to deny Jalen Hudson. Like, that was their job. And maybe this is the first game of Jalen Hudson they've watched this season. And, and he was having a good one. So, they, <laughs> they, decided, they, yeah, they decided that they needed to uh, take him out of the game a little bit. But, I mean, I'm just going to go look up Jalen Hudson's free throw percent. Oh, he's actually improved a little bit. He's up to 63.6%. But, I mean, point being, I would certainly... Uh, I just thought that was, and that was kind of, those were the big free throws that kind of put it out of reach. And I would have said, if I, if I, if I'm another coach and I see Jalen Hudson on the floor, I'm saying deny everyone else, let him get the ball and let's foul. And and um, uh, maybe that was just, uh, maybe that still was the plan. And they thought that uh, they, you know, maybe it was something they were doing, but I, I did think that was another like weird thing about the way LSU played the game that made me think that uh, they didn't scout very well to, because to get just absolutely, murdered on baseline out of bounds plays and then to, uh, to just <laughs> all out deny Jalen Hudson, the basketball with two guys that leads to Florida's best free throw shooter very easily getting the basketball. Um, I, I uh, I'd be a little, uh, a little salty if I was an LSU fan.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, I think those are, those are really, uh, pretty strong points, you know, who played a lot last night and you didn't really notice was Deandre Ballard. Um, I mean, he played 15 of the 45 minutes, which is More pretty than high thought. for him. Yeah. Um, so there must have been something that he was doing defensively that the staff really liked. I know he had one really tremendous offensive rebound um, that really was excellent. I mean, he tracked, he, he, he tracked the ball, and, and he out-hustled the guy to, the, to get it, Skylar Mays, who's not somebody you usually out-hustle. Like Scott is is one of the most complete players that I've seen this season um now that I watched him play for a full game instead of bits and pieces um i really love how he defends too, but anyway um yeah, so a lot of minutes from Ballard and good discipline i thought from from deandre uh he he had one turnover on a drive where I think he got in between passing and dunking um. <laughs> he he doesn't seem to trust himself when he's in the lane does he and i think that's maybe the next step for his development is to maybe realize that he's six foot five and pretty strong Um, right because i don't yeah i mean he looks like a guy that gets in there and he's like timid you know and it's like you're a big guy You're, you're you're pretty big guard uh you know go to the go to the hoop but 15 minutes is quite a bit and florida's yeah, this was a weird night where LSU plays eight guys. That's their rotation. And they don't play a ninth guy. Uh, Florida played 11 last night, if you count the brief Max Krauss. What if somebody has to hit free throws and it's Max Krause cameo? <laughs>
1: yeah, that was, uh, that was interesting to see the two teams uh, kind of bench. Like I said, the, the tight <laughs> rotation from, from LSU, I, I think I really like all the players they have, so I can certainly see that. But Yeah, uh, it mean, makes sense. Valid- the other thing about Ballard, too, is, I mean, he almost had another terrible turnover that he's had a few times where he almost got a guard, like a, just a guard-to-guard pass picked off. Um, luckily, it got tipped out of bounds. But yeah, um, that was something yeah. that really frustrated me, but uh, luckily didn't end up being a turnover. But uh, And he's done that a few times where he's just got pretty routine uh, guard-to-guard passes that he's just telegraphed a little too too much that have um, ended up going the other way for layups. So uh, I'm glad that didn't happen again, and that might have been uh, – that might've shrunk his 15 minutes to five last night, but uh, yeah, they, 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 Florida needs to have size on the wings. So when he can provide good minutes, they definitely need to have him out there.
0: So let's do, uh, should we do listener questions? Yeah, for sure. All right. Um, we'll just start with Drew Helmich. Um, what do you think has sparked this team offensively late in games? Uh, is it finding ways to score inside and out? They're so different than January.
1: Yeah, late in games. It seems I, I don't think they've really gone to the the inside out necessarily uh, in these late game situations. Um, but I, I honestly think it's just Florida's offense on a whole has been a whole lot of. Uh, they started the they started the season playing this like four out motion didn't really work as much. They tried uh, they tried to run a lot of kind of like run guys off screen down screens didn't work a whole lot. Um and then they kind of settled into this this kind of more pr- modern Princeton look and it's worked a lot better and it you know that took 20 some games to kind of figure out a little bit and I honestly think that's kind of also been the the case in these late game situations where Florida has had a lot of struggles in late game situations but I think that they've constantly been changing and they finally just kind of settled on on what works for the best and there's also just a matter of of I think that Florida is now playing with a ton more confidence than they have earlier in the season and uh, that kind of showed itself with the way that Kayvon Allen played uh, in the clutch after a really, really bad start to the game. So um, I do, but if I had to answer more centrally, I would just say that uh Florida has thrown a lot of stuff at the wall to see what's stuck. And uh, I think that they finally, we're starting to see the uh, kind of the, uh, the fruits of that labor.
0: Yeah, I would, I mean, I think that's a, that's a good, uh, that's a good summation of it. I, you know, certainly the uh, appearance of Jalen Hudson from the milk carton has helped Um, you know, last night he was six of 13 and he appears to be playing with confidence, which, you know, is great. Uh, But, but I think a lot of it is just the staff just kept trying to figure something out. And a lot of this, these Princeton concepts are working and um, a lot more than the traditional dribble drive stuff was Uh, the next question was about uh, from ike taylor and it's uh could florida go offense defense more with isaiah stokes and i'll start on this one and just say that i think last night we saw that while stokes has made progress he's still limited against really athletic front courts both offensively and defensively i mean isaiah caught the ball on one possession where he picked up an offensive foul and he was way too too far from the basket to receive the ball there. Um, I don't think that's how they want to start that set. And I think in a perfect world, I'm sure the coaches would probably prefer him to just go back outside, but he's also been coached repeatedly to go to the basket because he's got skill, right? So as a young player, you can get in between your trains of thought on that, but he's also, you know, not the most, he's not going to be anywhere near the athleticism of what LSU has in the front court. And I think he was troubled by that. Uh and you know, and we know what he is defensively. So I don't think Florida's gonna do much offense for defense type stuff. Also because Cavarius is, is just such a good defender that you know you can't risk going offense defense, like in the NBA, where you have more stoppages and stuff. And you end up with, with Stokes on the floor on critical defensive possessions.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, going offense-defense has become a little tougher in, in college basketball. And uh, maybe when Kamara Sayes was in foul trouble like last night, when you can kind of – you can try to kind of go offense-defense with Dante Bassett and, and Isaiah Stokes a little bit and get a little bit better defensively with Bassett, even though I'm obviously Bassett's not some defensive stopper. But um, the, th- the thing about Stokes, though, as I'll say, is his offense still has not been good enough to warrant – and I know a lot of people are still talking about how he needs more minutes, how – um, you know, this listener question suggesting offense defense and, and I can see where they're coming from. But when you look at the numbers, um, Isaiah Stokes is not even an average offensive player. And I think that might come as a shock to a lot of people. But, um, for example, on post ups, he's shooting 35 percent. I just pulled it up as you were started to answer the question. Um, so he's only shooting 35 percent on, on post ups. And that is something that is um, uh, his kind of primary offense. He's also gotten fouled zero times. Um, when posting up this season, which is a wild yeah. stat because that's that's kind of one of those things is if you're pounding the ball inside, a lot of the efficiency that comes from being a post-up player um, is the ability to get fouled a ton. And that's something that, that teams that do kind of post up a lot, players like Chris Silva, part of the reason their post-ups are so efficient is because they get fouled so much. So he has literally never gotten fouled on a post-up, which is a crazy stat that I just found out 30 seconds ago while Neil was talking.
0: As I was that's wild. And and yeah, that's that's crazy because... And, and to Eric's point, that's when you think about John Igbunu and people, wow, he wasn't great offensively anyway. Well, before he got hurt in the Elite Eight season, he had gotten better as a free throw shooter, right? So part of the issue with the, the reason that Igbunu became so much more effective was that John always got fouled a lot. <laughs> it was just a matter of, you know, is he converting those opportunities? And he was converting them at a much higher clip. Right.
1: Absolutely. And so, so once again, I, so you bought Isaiah Stokes and he's, um, a, a developing offensive player, but I just, I just really don't think he's as good as a lot of people think he is. And I, from an offensive standpoint, right now, I think he's got, certainly he's got lots of potential. But at, right now, at this moment, I don't think that he's good enough offensively that you have to find, you have to be like, okay, hey, we, we need to find ways to get him on the floor. I, I just don't think he's commanding minutes like that. So, so I don't think that going offense defense. Um, would be kind of worth the effort slash the potential bad situations that do keep them on the floor and in key situations defending. Um, I, I don't, I don't personally think it would be worth it.
0: Yep. I would agree. Uh, Matt Perry asked not to get ahead of ourselves. So is Florida in the big dance, if they only win their next three, or do they need to take down one of LSU UK as well, not including sec tournament possibilities.
1: Not including NCL or SEC tournament. I would say, I would say yes, probably. Um, I'm also just thinking, yeah, I, I would say that that uh, getting it done against LSU um, and kind of gives them the position where I think they could win the next three and, and lose both to LSU and Kentucky and, and probably be in good shape. But I think they might be sweating a little bit. Um, I Obviously getting to that point, I think that if they could win a game or two in the SEC tournament, that would be a, uh, that would kind of seal it, but um, this is one thing I'll say: people are talking about this being kind of a really, really soft bubble year, and I certainly see what they're talking about. But at the same time, if if Wofford doesn't win their conference, suddenly uh, that's that's like a two bid league, and Lipscomb is kind of in the same boat. And you know, if San Francisco makes a run, or, or Furman in their league, or or if Murray State doesn't win, there's a, there's a lot. The, there's a chance that there's a lot of these bids that are probably one bid leagues that everyone's just kind of assuming that the the outright favorite like buffalo is going to win their conference if, if they don't if if you know three or four of these kind of favorites in their conference don't win uh suddenly the bubble actually becomes really strong so i always kind of think that these conversations happen in a vacuum where you kind of really need to look at the kind of college basketball world on a whole and the bubble could become a lot stronger in an instant, but right now it's looking weak. And, and therefore I would say that uh, I do think that just uh, winning the next three games um, would kind of do it for Florida.
0: Yeah. I still think Ken Nate and the sec in 1813 is going to get them in uh, unless they lose to somebody terrible in Nashville. That would be my answer. Well, and the good thing, uh, Oh, sorry. and in that scenario, by the way, that, that 18 and 13 scenario, yeah, you could win the next three, And then if you lost to someone bad in Nashville, in my scenario, you would have lost three in a row and lost to a bad team in the last game. And that, that probably, you know, that, that really makes it dicey, I guess.
1: Yeah. And I do think that hopefully when going three and two, the rest of the sec should put them in a situation where they're not even playing a a really bad team in the sec tournament and would hopefully at least not even give you the chance to lose to Vanderbilt or something. But, uh, yeah, that's uh it's 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 going to make it certainly close. I I would definitely love for Florida to win one of those games against LSU again or or Kentucky in the rematch and uh, and make their fate a little more secure.
0: Yes, uh I, I would agree. <laughs> um <laughs> I would agree with that for sure. Um the next listener question uh, comes from Jason Kessler and he says is Florida's three game winning streak more about playing with desperation or edge uh, due to what is stake or more about pure team improvement? Fundamentally, it seems to me like this program's MO right now is to sleepwalk from November to February and then play good. Um, And I want to take the first stab at this and say, I reject the premise of the second part of the question because Florida was everyone's darling last November. So, Last season, quite the opposite, in fact. Uh, Florida went out to the PK-80 and kind of took the universe by storm. And Byron Metcalf wrote a column saying Florida was the favorite in the SEC, and Kyle Tucker uh, was tweeting about how he didn't know if anybody could beat Florida. And then Florida won at Rupp Arena in January, which, you know, you don't do if you're sleepwalking. So I don't think that that was the case last year. I think Florida's issues last year were more about consistency and What team showed up on any given night Um, this year? uh, Yeah. I mean, I'm going to just, you know, I'll, I'll stick my neck out there and say, I think Ford has improved. I think they've gotten better as a basketball team. Um, You know, I think not since probably will you get, but maybe, maybe even all the way back to Al Horford, have we seen a freshman take the kind of jump Keontae Johnson has taken from the second he arrived on campus? To now, Um, you're seeing Andrew Nimhart play so much better in the last two weeks. Um, So I think you know I think Florida's gotten a lot better, and I think that they've, despite some bad games, I think Florida's gotten stuff from Kayvon Allen this year that they you know they've had to have in a world where Jalen Hudson was absent more or less, and you know at times unplayable.
1: Yeah, definitely, and I I think you know I I said earlier just the other question about how. Uh, kind of my thoughts about how Florida has been trying a bunch of different things. And finally, I think they found uh, kind of a system that works them a little bit better. So I think that's kind of my same answer to, uh, uh, to this one from Jason, just about how uh, I think it's a little bit more of them kind of finally finding a system that works for them and works for the ever-changing personnel. There's kind of, well, at least ever-changing to start the season. Now it's a little more settled in at least, but I think that's part of it too is just that there was a lot of kind of uncertainty about the roster and now that it is a little bit locked more locked into what it looks like they they have found a system that works and and stuck to it and I'm sure the desperation hasn't um, hasn't hurt but um, I do also remember the uh, kind of uh, Mike White's first year in in, in Florida and I know that that's a mostly different group Um, but uh, it just uh, kind of that first season that Mike White was with the Gators they they were kind of in a a tournament position um, through the first couple weeks of the SEC season. And then uh, and then they just kind of totally let it slide in the last games They shouldn't. And I remember Mike White always talking about how they were playing not to lose as opposed to playing to win because they um, so badly wanted to make the, the tournament. And uh, I think that that's, uh, that kind of showed that they're, you, you know, when you play the guys this age, that's uh, that kind of what thinking about the postseason can really help you or it can really hurt you. And uh, it, but it certainly it's uh, it might be helping them right now.
0: Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that there's something to the idea of of having an edge uh, and being desperate. And, and, you know, they had the players-only meeting and, you know, cue all the jokes that you want to make about players-only meetings. <laughs> um, but, but they're 3-0 and since the players-only meeting. Uh, so, you know, maybe there's something to that, that, you know, desperation and edge too. But it can be both, I guess. Things can be, I, you know, I, I always tell my players – Things can be two things, <laughs> and so maybe that's the answer.
1: Yeah, I think that that's probably true. A little bit of both. I would definitely lean more towards uh, kind of more, uh, I guess, uh, measurable improvement, though, I, than um, than kind of the edge of of, of playing with definition. Sure. I, I
0: would lean more on that side for sure. Sure. Um, so let's see, Seth Kegley. I have a rotations question. What about Hayes and Stokes on the floor together? People love them some Stokes. (laughs) I know depth is the issue, but couldn't that help Stokes on the defensive end? Hayes could clean up the glass and Stokes could box out. Um, Plus, you have a second offensive rebounder.
1: Well, um, it's interesting. Yeah, um, I would say you you could find yourself into some pretty tough matchups where um, like uh, the thing is, the, if Stokes is Stokes is on the floor, ever teams are going to put him in in screen uh-huh. roll and try to get switches and, and make him guard in space, and that doesn't matter if he's playing with Cavarius Hayes or or without. Um, you could probably get into some interesting like zone defense situations. Like Florida's played one three one. Um, you know, could you put uh could you put Kavarius Hayes on the top of the one three one and get that length out there at six nine six ten? That could be pretty uh intriguing. Um, there's some stuff you could do. I, I'd be open to it, but, uh, uh, but once again, do, do I think that he really just kind of commands, commands that kind of uh, just commands getting on the floor? I just don't think he does. And the other thing about talking about him being an offensive rebounder, another one on the floor, um, he's not really a good offensive rebounder at all. Um, his, uh, he, his offensive rebounding percentage is is lower than Deandre Ballard's uh, lower than Keith Stone, who's on the floor and is, um, is, uh, is only 0.2 percentage points higher than, uh, than Jalen Hudson. So um, Isaiah Stokes has not been a good offensive rebounder and has been um, not a great defensive rebounder either. So uh, the idea that playing two bigs would just make you a lot better on the glass um, hypothetically makes sense, but Isaiah Stokes hasn't been a great rebounder. So I'm not sure that um, the getting him out there with Cavarius Hayes necessarily instantly makes you
0: a great rebounding team. Good stuff. Uh, we have two more. Um, no, we have, we have three more cam, the man fry. I'm going to take this one once to know if there's a sport LSU can beat us in. And, um, (laughs) I'm going to say that when you defeat LSU in baseball to win the college world series and you lead the all-time series in football, even when they steal a home game, because they don't want to make accommodations for people fleeing a hurricane. Um, and then you go and beat them on their home floor when they have their highest basketball ranking since the uh, John Brady era. Uh, you know, maybe the answer to that question is no. Moving well, on. wait, I, I
1: have to jump in here. I was <laughs> um, feeling pretty sick the other night. Um was up in the middle of the night and uh, was just looking for whatever's on TV. And what do I find on a channel I've never watched? But collegiate bass fishing. And in this collegiate bass fishing tournament, LSU had a team present and Florida did not. And therefore, um, you know, I'm going to give I'll give LSU the uh the edge in collegiate bass fishing. Though uh, uh <laughs> that 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 might actually make some Florida. I know that, you know, that's a big state for fishing. So, Florida Florida needs to step oh,
0: Florida shout, needs to step it shout up. Shout out line. to Florida. <laughs> shout out to Florida gymnastics too who also beat LSU. This year.
1: <laughs> you know, people have been talking um, about Mike White. I I want to know what 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 coach has been keeping Florida out of the contention of collegiate bass fishing. Uh that's something I, That's something I got to find out. So that's, that's the one thing I think that's, uh, yeah, that's what I'm going to, that's what I'm going to say for, uh, for what sport else you could be Florida in.
0: I love it. I love it. Um, Michael Pusatera wants to know why are Mike White's blob plays so devastating? Oh, that's a really good question. And I will say this as, uh, probably about
1: two weeks ago, I was uh, curious to myself, what. uh, you know, Florida's had some really good base on rebounds plays. So I actually went and looked at them all on synergy. So I watched every single one. So I, uh, I feel like I, yeah, I'm just that guy. So anyways, um, one thing I really like about uh, the, about Mike White's plays, and I would say it's very evidenced by the, uh, the Jalen Hudson three that he got um, in that set is that Florida uh, or Mike White, I should say is um, really good at being patient in the way that he kind of designs his, uh, his plays. And what I mean is a lot of times uh, ball comes in, the guy, the inbounder slaps the basketball and everything happens at once. Um, two guys, everyone starts moving and, and uh, that's kind of people just seem in such a rush to get the basketball in where you saw instead Florida has a lot of these ones where it was um, like this Jalen Hudson three was inbounder gets the basketball. Uh, Noah Locke makes one kind of V cut then he curls off of a screen. Then he goes towards the rim, and that's the misdirection. And then off of that, there's a little bit of a screen screener action that frees up Jalen Hudson. And it used probably four seconds of the inbound clock. And to a lot of people, that's really stressful because they think they're about to get a call of like a five-second call. Um, but really, it just really confuses the defense who's looking to defend really quickly um, right as soon as the ball gets inbounds. And uh, we saw that as well with that Kavarius Hayes um, alley-oop that came off the out-of-bounds play. And uh, yeah. So I think that I would say that that's something that I really noticed that Mike White does that a lot of other coaches don't is that he is not shy about you making sure that he uses those those seconds to, to <laughs> run offense, I guess, like to make multiple movements. And um, I will also say that Mike White does a really good job of playing off the fact that uh, people are going to sell out a lot to protect the rim, which is in a lot of ways what you should do when guarding baseline out of bounds plays. But he does a really good job of playing off that to free open shooters.
0: Yeah, I mean Florida has one action that that I was actually asked as an assistant to 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 watch repeatedly just to open up for because we have a guy that that shoots about forty four percent from three point range. Um and he takes a lot of three pointers. I've sent Eric video of him. Um yeah. <laughs> He he just I don't know, he, he just makes a ton of shots. And so we were kind of like, well, how can we run these actions? Florida used to run for Canyon Berry the most. Um, but we've seen it for for Kayvon Allen. We saw it for Keith Stone when he was healthy. Um, and it looks like everybody gets kind of fenced in, in the paint area. And you have four to five feet between the the nearest defender and the guy who receives the ball outside the arc. And so we watched that action. And, yeah, I mean, it's another example of a play where – Mike White really does instruct his, the guy passing the ball in, like just wait for the thing to develop. You have five seconds, you know, be calm. And um, so I think, I think Florida does a nice job of of kind of setting screens and stuff uh, to, to, to free people up from using positioning and spacing of the floor um, in a way that you don't see a lot. Um, So I think, yeah, I mean, it's just really interesting and yet, also defensible i mean florida has you only have so many of those you can run and as eric mentioned you know florida goes to auburn and none of them work so right
1: um, well i i mean florida has scored off all the same plays that they scored off against lsu so this season like they, as like i said i've watched everyone in florida's makes the season off baseline out of bounds and um what they did last night was not anything different so i i do think that that's like I don't know. I think you got another scout if you're Yeah, I
0: don't I know, know like what is on that. I didn't think there there was that, a but... wrinkle either.
1: <laughs> no, no,
0: really not. <laughs>
1: oh, and, and the other thing too, I think I'm going to tweet it out later so people can see because I think I'm just going to tweet out a bunch of Florida's base on out-of-bounds plays, but the Cavarish-Days dunk was shamefully defended. Like It was literally they flattened out as as kind of the one-four and as someone who's watched all of Florida's inbound sets, I literally think that he was just um, clearing out to space out the floor to put everyone on one side of the floor so that they could just safely kind of have a one-on-one and then just safely get the ball in. I don't even think they were looking to score. It was kind of one of those actions you run, just kind of false actions. And um, so I forget who it was. I it might've been Jalen Hudson just said a pretty basic, there's two people on the far side of the floor and then Jalen Hudson and Kavarius Hayes on the near side of the floor. Uh, Jalen Hudson set a screen towards the basket. Kavaris Hayes went off it, got absolutely lost and got an easy alley-oop. And I thought it was just disgracefully defended. So, uh, but yeah. I
0: tweeted out later. <laughs> No, please do, because that seems to be – when I watch the the three-point play, that's the tendency there is that it's usually just a spacing underneath the basket. Now, they're, I think they're intentionally – I don't know about you, Eric. I think they're intentionally closer to the rim there to kind of open this up. But it's always weak side where they go to the three-point shooter. And then one thing that's kind of devastating about it, they did it in the Virginia game in the NCAA tournament where they launched it out, and it was Chris Chioza, who you don't usually – run that play for right and he caught it and then he makes one pass because virginia actually sniffed it out at the last second but only one defender sniffed it out so chioza catches makes one pass to justin leon boom uh triple and it was kind of like you know well that's amazing because i think and i think that's the idea is that if somebody receives it you're already in an advantageous position if you spit spa- in terms of spacing the floor even if the shot isn't there yeah um what you always want to be you know aiming to make your inbound play you know what creates a matchup advantage
1: definitely and and uh i i'm interested to see what florida does even just to, to i don't like to see if they do go to a different wrinkle because um teams have got to start figuring out i, I hope they don't i love <laughs> i love watching florida score them, but they've got to start like once again auburn figured it out perfectly and by just you know probably doing their research and uh uh, I don't know if LSU did. So I think that uh, it'll be interesting to see if uh, Florida kind of does get in some new sets um, in the second kind of really late part of the season, just because teams will have seen their older stuff. And uh, I'm curious to see what yeah. Mike White cooks up. And um, also LSU um, 18th in the country in collegiate bass fishing, um, Florida in the one hundreds. So uh, the, Florida just got to be better. I, you know, people, people are always here calling for Mike White's head here. I want to know, I want to know who's in charge of the fish and bass fishing program and uh,
0: we got, we got to, get that, uh, got to get that going for, for the Gators again. That's right. you got to hit up uh, Strickland at ufl.edu on that <laughs> and, and, and figure out what the deal is there. I will not stand um,
1: for LSU beating us in, in, in any sport. So uh, <laughs> bass fishing doesn't, if, <laughs> doesn't get a bass. If f- Florida
0: Basketball Hour gets a call from, from Scott Strickland about why his in, inbox blew up with bass fishing emails... <laughs> You will all have done your job. Uh, I don't know. I Um, I hope people keep
1: spamming about the uh, camera
0: flip before bass fishing. And
1: I, I regret, I regret saying anything. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yeah. um, So we'll close with a Sarah and Tampa email, uh, which is just fundamental basketball question. Why is it so much different to offensive rebound than defensive rebound? Um, i would say that she asked the best questions by the
1: way she absolutely asked the best questions and i, I think she needs to get on twitter uh, just because uh people need to <laughs> i'm sure she had some great commentary uh really good question yeah. um i would say that uh offensive okay defensive rebounding i would say has a lot more to do with getting good body position and boxing out and being being strong in that fashion offensive rebounding has a lot more to do with um with having a little bit more speed, having a little bit more length to back tap balls out, um, because the thing about defensive rebounding is you do kind of have to secure the basketball. You got to get two hands on it. You got to rip it. Um, when it comes to offensive rebounding, uh, you can you can back tap the ball to a guard. You can kind of just keep the ball alive, slap it off the backboard back to a guard. Um, so I think that a lot of times you've seen that uh, that it's it's a lot of the. Uh, you know, look at, at Jarnell Stokes, not Isaiah Stokes. I talked about him being not a good rebounder on both sides of the ball. But um, but guys like that, that are that are like strong, wide-bodied, can box out defensively. Um, and when the ball comes off the rim, um, they're in perfect position. And then um, for offensive rebounds, um, look no further than Cavarius Hayes. Cavarius Hayes has been a much better offensive rebounder than defensive rebounder his entire career. He's been an elite offensive rebounder. He's been a average at best, sometimes less than average. Um, defensive rebounder. And I think a lot of it's too, because he boxes out really well and allows his guards to get the ball on the defensive glass. So I don't think he's as bad of a defensive rebounder as the metrics say, but anyways um, I, it's players like Kavari says that are better offensive rebounders because of their because of their, just a little bit more length. And that's what you see from, from Hazel and more where he can kind of back tap balls. Um, uh, actually a weird one actually is um, Keith Stone was kind of the same way where Keith Stone is not a great defensive rebounder, but he was a little bit better of an offensive rebounder and he kind of was able to uh, just kind of keep balls alive with his on his fingertips and, and slap them back to a guard. So um, I will say, yeah, that's kind of a, a defensive rebounding, a little bit more about boxing out, getting body position, and and being strong. Offensive rebounding, a little bit more, kind of being speedy and quick to the basketball, and, and having a bit more length.
0: Yeah, great answer. And I, you know, last night a, a great example of that. I mean, Florida for all the the. For all the business that, that LSU was in, good, you know, making good – they were in business make, on the offensive glass, but so was Florida. Yeah. 15 offensive rebounds to 18, and a lot of that was Florida's guards' ability to back-tap their quickness and athleticism. Um, for, and, and a great analytical example of this, and in, in kind of a, a hint, hint at, at a team that Neil thinks is going to the Sweet 16, uh, and I must like them if I refer to myself in the third person, um, is Houston um 32nd in the country in offensive rebounding percentage uh their biggest starter is six foot eight so they're just really quick um and fast they're 239th in defensive rebounding interesting so you kind of see like they win a lot of extra possessions and when you score as efficiently as houston does that's a huge deal yeah that that is a
1: huge deal i i think rebounding is a huge part of basketball from an analytics standpoint um the thing about the average possession in college basketball is if, if you want to say it's, you know, you get 0.9 something points per possession just every time you get the basketball. Uh, that means every offensive rebound you get is not only another chance for you to potentially put points on the board. It's, uh, it's your opponent not getting the basketball and not getting the chance to put points on the board. So from just up here, um, being around, being hovering around one point per possession, um, that means that every offensive rebound is uh, an average of one point per, per possession you're putting up and one point per possession your opponent can't put up. So that's that pretty much means to me every offensive rebound is, is like a two point swing just by the, just the way the possessions work. So I think rebounding is massive. And I do think that looking at rebounding is a very, very wise thing to do when you fill uh, out your bracket looking for, a, for for a team that could
0: uh, make a deep run. Definitely uh, agree there. So Florida uh, returns home saturday it feels like they've played on the road forever and in a lot of ways they have only one home game of their last five they now come home and and they close as you heard ad nauseum on the broadcast last night three of their final five games in the friendly confines the first one saturday at four o'clock against quantum martin in missouri a team that's really really limited offensively yeah absolutely that's uh for
1: a team like Florida that just obviously lives and dies on the, or just kind of prides himself on the defensive end. Uh, Missouri is a team that I think that they should be able to, to handle on that side. Um, the the one thing that is uh, a little more interesting, I guess though, is the fact that uh, I really like Jeremiah Tillman. Um, he's a pretty good, uh really good big man. And that's going to be a, be an interesting matchup for, uh, for the Gators for sure. But um, that, that backcourt, I just feel like Missouri lacks some, some really good creators and, uh, and guys that can kind of beat you off the bounce. And what is, what is kind of Florida had trouble with this season? It's It's been some of the guards that, uh, that can really beat you off the dribble like, like Auburn has. And uh, yeah, Missouri doesn't have that. So um, I, I see that the, the size of Jeremiah Tillman is a kind of potential, uh, interesting matchup for Florida kind of that they could struggle with. Uh, but I look at some of the other parts on the floor and, and I do think this is, uh, this is something that Florida should, should handle pretty easily.
0: Yeah. They have one road win um, this season that was uh against Texas A&M when Texas A&M really didn't have any idea who they were they're kind of a A&M's kind of a team that quietly I'm I'm right now hoping Florida doesn't have to deal with again in Nashville because that would be kind of like the bad loss that's very possible the way they're playing of late um but but that's for you know a few shows from now uh yeah i mean Missouri definitely has has that ability but they're also Um, you know, 300 318th in the country in in turnover percentage, which is a really bad recipe playing a Florida team that turns people over, especially at home. Um, Missouri can kind of get hot from outside. They shoot 37% as a team from three point range. Um, So I think that their, their recipe probably for victory would be to get Tillman going early, have Florida collapse and then start hitting triples.
1: Right. That's, uh, and, uh, it's kind of interesting against a team that doesn't have, uh, doesn't have guards that are real, that a really beach off the bounce, but have guards that can kind of get their feet set and shoot the ball. I wonder if Florida does kind of let Tillman go one-on-one a little bit more and not, and if Florida just decides that, Hey, we'll let him post up. And if he gets a bucket, good for him. We'll take twos over threes that they might get, uh, because of, uh, because of a double team coming. Um, I don't actually think Florida's going to do that though. Cause Florida has been really, uh, uh they they seem really confident in their ability to double down on on post players and, and have their other guys rotate. And uh Florida's been really, really good at defending the three point line because of it. And uh you look at a lot of teams that defend the three point line really well. And they're uh they're usually teams with a lot of length that can just kind of uh make up for uh for kind of space by having better closeouts because they're long. And Florida is not long in the perimeter whatsoever, but has been able to defend the three point line really well. And I think it is just because of their their kind of uh, knowledge of where to be on the floor to rotate over to shooters and uh, just to kind of close out under control.
0: Yep. So, uh, you know, not a lot, not a lot of, of pregame, um, you know, I guess scout in terms of Missouri, I'll tell you what the analytics say uh, they say that Missouri does defend the three point line uh, pretty well, top a hundred in the country in that, uh, metric. They're they're less good at defending against two point shots, which maybe could could bode well for Florida. Sanu found confidence in the paint. Um, Missouri is like the opposite of LSU in terms of their athleticism and ability to block shots and get steals. One of the worst teams in the country in in blocking shots. One of the worst teams in the country in getting steals. So it's a game where I think Florida has to play under control, play with great discipline. Um, but you know, certainly coming back home, uh, for me, just the biggest task is staying on edge and focused after a big win last night.
1: Totally. And I mean, last night was a massive win, but I mean, if you lose to Missouri at home, uh, I don't know if that wipes away the win in terms of how it would look in the metrics and stuff, but, but I mean, that would be a, a devastating loss. So that, it's a loss that they, they need, they kind of need to avoid and, um, you, you know, you were talking about Texas A&M before and, and how Florida almost lost to them. And uh, I think that obviously Florida playing, is playing better basketball now than they, um, than they were in that game where they totally should have lost to Texas A&M but got really hot from the three-point line to, to save themselves. Uh, but, yeah, there's, uh, it's, I, don't, I don't think Missouri a great basketball team, but they're still an SEC team, and there's still, uh, still some guys who can, who can really play ball. And um, I, uh, I think that, uh, like you said, just going to be interesting to see how they – they respond because uh, I could see there's a scenario that exists where Jeremiah Tillman goes off for 12 rebounds and, and 24 points and um, and Missouri shoots the ball at 43% from the three-point line because they, uh, they can certainly do that. So uh, even though it's not a great team and I think they're missing a lot of the kind of like connecting pieces that make a basketball team uh, really good, they do have the pieces of, hey, a big man that can really get it done inside and a bunch of guys that can shoot the basketball and uh, for that reason, Florida definitely needs to, uh, uh, Florida can't afford to take any games off ever uh, this season, but um, but certainly not. <laughs> just that, not good enough. Yeah, it's certainly, yeah, just not good enough. And uh, the other thing too is uh, Missouri loves to play really slow and they like to play at Florida's tempo. And we just saw two games where Florida Florida won largely to me because of the fact that uh, their opponents wanted to play it really fast and Florida dictated the tempo to be really slow and they didn't respond to it as well. Um, but Missouri wants right. to play really slow, so florida kind of slowing the game down um that's not going to bother missouri they'll be really happy to do that so um kind of the the shell shock nature of alabama and uh, lsu who are like you could just tell we're just antsy at the way that florida was making the game so slow and it made them uncomfortable um Missouri's not going to be that way they're going to they're going to love to play slow so um uh they're not going to florida's not going to rattle them that way so um i do think that there's a. Uh, yeah, and, and the other thing too is when it's a, when it is a low possession game like Florida plays in and Missouri plays it, um, uh, those three point those runs of three point shots can, can mean a lot more. Because if the game's being played in the '60s, um, someone hit you know going off and hitting three straight threes, uh, that means a lot more than than those nine points if the game's being played in the '90s. So uh, yeah, there's yeah. there's definitely a, there's definitely a scenario where this is a, a tough game for Florida, even though um, even though Missouri has had uh, quite a struggling season.
0: My key number would be uh, 10. I'd like to see Florida have 10 points off turnovers. Um, I think, you know, and and that might even be modest, but this is a game where I think Florida, this is one of the few teams where Florida, I think, might even be, certainly is as athletic and might be a little more athletic. And, you know, maybe a game for Florida to take some chances and flare some guys out if they can get uh, steals and just get out on the break and, and get going and try to get baskets that way Uh, because, you know, Florida has such a huge advantage, uh, at least on, on terms of analytics, turning the ball over versus a team that's not very careful with the basketball. Um, So make life a little easier on yourself. if You get stagnant because Missouri slows the game down. Right. Um, And Andrew Nimhard just played 42 minutes. Uh, So you're going to have some tired legs, I think, you know, this this is the grind mm-hmm. part of the season, but that would be that would be my figure. Um, I'm sure Eric will have more from you in his game preview, at GatorCountry.com. If you're not checking those out, uh, I can't help you. Um, <laughs> you probably should be. Uh, so that's uh, that's all we got, and we'll look forward to talking to everybody um, after the Missouri game and preview what I think is the biggest game of Florida's season. Keep saying that um, Tuesday or Wednesday, or whenever it is, when Florida heads to Memorial Gym, which I have renamed the Florida Basketball House of Horrors.
1: Yeah, that, is, uh, that has certainly been the case. And though uh, those demons are slowly getting exercised, uh, there's still def- <laughs> Florida's going to have to rattle off um, a lot of wins there to, to undo the damage that has already been done.
0: <laughs> I was watching uh, Repeat After Us Friday night before Florida went on this two-game run, you know. And so there was some element of sadness to it because I was like, oh man, they're so good. And sure enough, there was uh, old Kevin Stallings ripping the ball from, from Joe Kim Noah and Vanderbilt students rushing the floor after basically routing Florida by like 20 points <laughs> at Memorial Gym. And uh, Lee Humphrey, you know, making the remark that, that he never knew if he was shooting at a light bulb or a rim in there because it's so, the lighting is so weird. And the floor is elevated and it's like, oh man, if that's how Lee Humphrey felt, imagine how this wonderful shooting Florida basketball team will feel next week. Yeah. That's um, where, uh, yeah. <laughs> that's why it's good. They're starting to get
1: some, uh, some offense in the paint because if you're going to have, yeah. uh, if you're going to be prone to some, some off shooting nights, um, yeah, going into Memorial gym, that makes the, the chances <laughs> of that happening a, a lot higher. Um, I will just ask you one more question, and then uh, yeah, I know you're going sure. to end this. But I, uh, I mean, I truthfully, I actually love Memorial Gym. Like, I know it sucks for Florida, but I love that there are like venues like that in college basketball that are like very just obviously different and unique. So, as much as I like hate Memorial Gym, I actually like really love it, and I hope they never change it. But uh, <laughs> what are your thoughts? Do you think that they should have to, uh, you know, do do you like it? Do you think they should have to uh, get a more regulation
0: gym, or what? What are your thoughts? I've seen a couple games there, and and I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm with you. I I think it's fantastic. And if you're a spectator and you have a chance to go in Nashville, it, they don't have to be playing the Gators. I mean, go first of all. It's loud. Um, they love basketball at that school, and um, but it's crazy because you'll like walk in and it, it's very strange because the way the seating works, uh, it's almost like being at a theater <laughs> instead. Like you walk through, and it's like the NBA where there's the drapes, you know, mm. between the between the entries to the sections, so you can't see out, which makes it even darker. Um, and then you know, yeah, I mean, if you sit low, the floor is above you, <laughs> which is so strange. Uh, but yeah, I love places like that. I mean, I can't one one thing I'm definitely doing next year, and you know, I've booked my trip already. Uh, like I'm going to Hinkle to see Florida play nice. Butler because because I've gotta you know. I don't know if they'll let me measure the rim, but I'm gonna send an email and ask, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, oh. just to make sure it's ten feet regulation, like it was growing up in Hickory. But uh, but yeah, I mean, I I I think that that stuff is uh, is what makes college basketball amazing. And yeah, maybe I'll get to the the palestra too, right?
1: Oh, a lot of play. Yeah, once you get up there, there's play- <laughs> have plenty of venues. But uh, yeah. One of the bucket list places for sure, but anyways, I'm glad I'm glad to hear you have the same thoughts. Because as much as I like hate how Florida plays in Memorial Gym, I I, I love it. i love the idea of Memorial
0: Gym, so I'm I'm cool with it. Yeah, absolutely. No, I'll take like a Tylenol PM or something to calm me down to watch the <laughs> to watch the Gators. There, but I'm sure that'll be a stressful game, but we'll talk about it on the back end of, of what we hope is another Florida win against Missouri. Thanks, everybody.